This is Zion Hebrew Congregation with me, Luke Tanner. This week's Shabbat message is entitled After Balaam by my dad, Warren Tanner. Feel free to check out our website where you can find all of our archived Shabbat messages there, as well as all of my dad's essays that he writes each week. You can sign up for those if you put your email in the little email subscribe box. Uh, and uh, you can also get our Shabbat messages wherever you listen to your podcasts. And also, as usual, my, our uh, theme music is by my buddy Evan Shaw. You can check him out on his website, which is evanshawmusic.com. Enjoy. Hey, mighty warriors arise, yeah. Good to see you folks. We're here today, again doing our in-home thing until we can get back to our regular meeting place. You can turn to um, Numbers 23. So we're going to be looking at Balaam. Um, I preached a few different messages years ago. I, I can't remember if I took them off the website or not. They may be there, they might not. But I don't want to be as in-depth as I was before. I, I have a thought. I'm going to get us there. And once again, it's just kind of a contrast in scenes that in my reading, a reading, and in my reading, when I read it and went into the next chapter and what transpired, just it really stopped me in my tracks. And it made me stop and think about what I kind of want to hope I can share today. So we're going to read Numbers 23, starting at verse 14, and we're actually going to read through chapter 25. I might say a few things along the way, uh, and then I'll give you my thoughts. So let's pray. Father, I do thank you that we can be here together for another Shabbat. I need it so much, and actually the it's like a cleansing for me personally to just get together like this and be together and, and sing what we sing and do the Shema and then look at your word. So, Father, bless this time. Speak to our hearts and um, take your word and somehow enable it to penetrate into our hearts to the point where we do continue to become more and more like our Savior, Yeshua. In his name we pray. Amen. All right, so just a little bit of the backstory. I don't want to get into it, but in chapter 22, this is kind of what leads up to where we are. Chapter 22, Balak, Balak wants Balaam to curse Israel. You know, Israel's on the move. Balak's uh, the king of Moab. He's starting to feel a little frightened because he's heard the reports. So he, he realizes he can't really defeat this mass of people by himself, and he needs help. So he contacts Balaam. So, um, Balak takes it up with God. God, you know, says, go ahead. And so God says, uh, don't go. And so Balaam says, sorry, I can't go. God says, no. Balak says, hey, you know, can't you, can't you try again? I'm putting my own words to it. So can't you please try again? So Balaam, all right, sit tight. 
So Balak goes, meets with God again. Balaam says, well, okay, what do you say? So, so this is what I think Balaam might have been thinking or what I would have been thinking given this scenario where he's going back. If God gave a no, and it's like, Dad says no the first time, and the, the son comes back and says, Dad, you know, maybe. So then he goes again, and now Dad says, okay, go ahead. And, and so, you know, in essence, Balak is saying, is it okay to go? And, and Balaam, I think he's kind of saying, well, I think God said it was okay to go with you, and kind of goes. That's my take on it, but he goes. And because if it was me, God says no the first time, that's Probably the answer, if I can cajole him to kind of answer differently, I'm going to try for it, but I probably shouldn't. And as we all know, sometimes God gives us what we want when it's not necessarily what is best. And we can, we can pray, we can ask him to do a lot of things, we can try to get fleeces from God. I mean, all the things that we do to try to make ourselves feel like, okay, yeah, God said okay. When possibly God was trying to say no in the first place. But anyway, God, God can work through all that, turn it all around, and as we know the story, as we get into it, some incredible prophecies come out of this through Balaam, this guy. All right, so, um, so, so Balaam, yeah, I think God said it was okay. So he goes, God gets angry about it and seeks to kill him, and basically Balaam's ass saves his head. <laughs> That's kind of how I look at it. Balaam's ass saves his head. You know, and I kind of thought about this. I wasn't going to say this, but, you know, try to think of it this way. All right, so Balak, uh, Balaam gets in his car to go to this meeting. Let's think of it in modern terms. So he hops in his car. You know, he's gotten the car all prepared. You know, it, it's, there's gas. He's changed the oil, air in the tires. Got, he's had it serviced. It has a tune-up. The car's always served. So he sets out on his trip. And so he's driving the car, and all of a sudden this car starts to veer left. And it starts to veer right, and he's thinking, what the heck is going on here? And before he knows it, the car kind of goes, and it sputters, and it just, he's dead on the side of the road. Well, he's in a hurry to get to where he's going. And, and so he gets out of the car, and, you know, what do you do? He goes out there, lifts the hood, he looks underneath there, he's not seeing anything. He slams the hood down and bangs on the hood and just starts yelling at the car, says, what's up? You know, all of a sudden, the headlights turn on, and the grill has a split, and the car starts talking to him. Says, what the heck are you beating me for? I've always served you well. Well, what the heck are you doing? Well, I saw stuff, and I thought maybe you shouldn't go. You know, it's almost as ludicrous him talking to his donkey as much as how ludicrous it would be to talk to a car, but you can almost sense in the rage of the thing, it's like, what the heck's going on here? And maybe you're wondering, well, something supernatural is going on here. So finally... You know, you get the car starts, and you get in the car, and you now you're driving a little bit slower down that road than you would have, and you know you. So now you're heading into a corner, uh, around a curve, and lo and behold, this big boulder had fallen down that you wouldn't have seen, and you would have plowed into it and got killed, and and so your car, your ass, saved your head. So that's kind of the scenario, and that's kind of what's going on here. And, and as, as bizarre as that is to have your car talk to you and it, your, your car can see that supernatural angel out there that's wanting to kind of slay you and kill you, this is what happens to Balaam. So he's, he's now knowing, whoa, wait a minute, something's really going to be up with this. So that's, that's, that's chapter 22 put into a scenario. 
of how it might be for us. All right, so then you get into chapter 23, the first 13 verses, Balak, Balaam, and God kind of go round and round about this. Balaam keeps blessing Israel. Balak keeps trying, uh, keeps getting mad and wants them to not curse, but to bless. And so God keeps saying, sorry, this is not what's going to happen. You know, and Balaam comes back and says, hey, sorry, I have to bless him. Balaam keeps getting mad and he thinks, well, if I change the scenario, different setting, you know, maybe, 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 maybe. And so that's where we get into uh, where we where I want to start reading today at 2314. Uh, All right. So bear in mind, I have a point to this. We just I need to give the setting. So 23, starting at verse 14. All right. And he brought him into the field of Zophim to the top of Pisgah and built seven altars and offered a bullock and a ram on every altar. And he said unto Balak, Stand here by thy burnt offering while I meet the Lord yonder. And the Lord met Balaam and put a word in his mouth and said, Go again unto Balak and say thus. And when he came to him, behold, he stood by his burnt offering and the princes of Moab with him. And Balak said unto him, What hath the Lord spoken? And he took up his parable and said, Rise up, Balak, and hear, hearken unto me, thou son of Zippor. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall, not, shall he not make it good? Behold, I have received commandment to bless and he hath blessed, and I cannot reverse it. And this is such an interesting verse. He hath not beheld iniquity in Jacob, neither hath he seen perverseness in Israel. The Lord his God is with him, and a shout of a king is among them. Now, if we know, I just have to stop here. If we know the backstory, I mean, Israel's up to this point has done some pretty crazy, not so good things. Sin. I mean, bad stuff, starting with Aaron and the golden calf and that whole debauchery that starts there, plus they're complaining along the way. And they've been anything but stellar. But I was reading in my Morris Study Bible, and basically what they said was, this is how God views a person who's made righteous in him, made righteous in Yeshua. So, yeah, God knows exactly what they are, but positionally he sees them as their, his children, righteous not in their own righteousness but in righteousness in their belief of the coming messiah because it gets into a prophecy about it and, it, and it's basically again it's like the father-son relationship or parent-child relationship that child is yours you know you give birth to them they're sweet they're wonderful they're angelic and they're wonderful and i've said it many times but then that son decides, eh, I don't know, Dad, give me my inheritance. I want to go off someplace, and Dad's at a loss. And he says, all right, here it is, go, and hope everything turns well. Well, that son goes out and does a bunch of stuff that you wouldn't approve of, that's not in the best interest of the child. But you as the parent, no matter what condition that child ends up in, whether he turns and goes into the ministry or he finds himself in a cell, when it comes down to the bottom line, that child is yours and you are the father and you still see him even though he's done all this stuff as the child that you love. You can't stop that. Well, that's how God sees his children. That's how he sees us. Yeah, he has to smack us around and, and take us to the woodshed and paddle us and do all that stuff. 
But that never changes the ultimate relationship. And when God has to stand up for his children, he will. And, and so God doesn't say, well, you know, you know what? Yeah, I know there's iniquity in Jacob. And oh, man, has he ever been perverse? And I've wondered if I'm going to go along with him. And, and, but you know what? I kind of have to. That's not how God comes to the defense of his people in this setting. And this to me is huge because this is what we have in Christ. This is what we have in Messiah. This is what our faith has done. God sees us not just for ourselves, but he sees us clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And that's how it's always been for the people of God. Whether they look forward to the Messiah coming or like us, we've looked back on the Messiah. God sees us in Christ. And, you know, we see ourselves from the underside and say, boy, am I a mess. And God, it's not like he's saying up, up, up there, say, well, no, no, you're not. You're fine. He said, yeah, you are a mess. But here's how I ultimately see you. All right. So 22. God brought them out of Egypt. He hath, as it were, the strength of a unicorn. Surely those, there is no enchantment against Jacob. Neither is there any divination against Israel. According to this time, it hath... Uh, it, sorry. According to this time, it shall be said of Jacob and Israel, "What hath God wrought?" And again, I was in my Morris Study Bible, and it, and and I've mentioned this in the past. You don't remember, but this is the those words. What hath God wrought? Is what? Um, yeah, the guy that invented the telegraph, Alexander. No. The telegraph or the, or the uh, telegraph. It was a telegraph. Te telegraph, no, telegraph who, which I can't think of whose name is right now. But it, the guy that invented the Morris. telegraph, Morris. Morris. Morris yeah, Taylor. yeah. He 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 typed, "What hath God wrought?" Which tells you a lot about that guy because who in the heck even knows what Numbers twenty three twenty three says? Well, he happened to, and and that that spoke to me. It's like, wow, we have come so far away that a basic <laughs> a basic verse that he would come up with is, "Wow, what hath God wrought?" Now he could have just said that, but it's actually from here, Morris, my Morris Bible says this is where he got it. All right, 24. Behold, the people shall rise up as a great lion and lift up himself as a young lion. He shall not lie down until he eat of the prey and drink the blood of the slain. And Balak said unto Balaam, Neither curse him at all, nor bless him at all. But Balaam answered and said unto Balak, Told not I thee, saying, All that the Lord speaks, that must I do? And Balak said unto Balaam, Come, I pray thee. I'll bring thee unto another place, peradventure it will please God that thou mayest curse me from thence. And Balak brought Balaam unto the top of Peor that looketh toward Jeshimon. And Balaam said unto Balak, I know I'm not saying the words right. This should be Balaam and probably Balak. But. And Balaam said unto Balak, Build me here seven altars and prepare me here seven bullocks and seven rams. And Balak did as Balaam had said and offered a bullock and a ram on every altar. And when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he went not, as at other times, to seek for enchantments. But he set his forest twelve toward the wilderness. This is where we get in the great prophecy that God decides to, to, to give us through this false prophet. So verse 2. And Balaam lifted up his eyes, and he saw Israel abiding in his tents according to their tribes, and the Spirit of God came upon him. And he took up his parable and said, Balaam the son of Beor hath said, and the man whose eyes are open hath said, he hath 
said, uh, sorry, I'm trying to get to my note. He has said, uh, let me do again. All right, verse 3. And he took up his parable and said, Balaam the son of Beor has said, and the man whose eyes are open has said, he has said, which heard the words of God, which saw the vision of the Almighty falling into a trance, but having his eyes open. Here he goes. How goodly are thy tents, O Jacob, and thy tabernacles, O Israel. As of valleys are they spread forth, as gardens by the river's side, as the trees of line aloes, which the Lord hath planted, and as cedar trees beside the waters. So I want to stop there and give you this, this cool note that I got from Benson about the line aloes. So uh, he, he says about this in Balaam, Balaam, having seen them pitched in the plains of Moab, he thus breaks forth into admiration of their beautiful order as they lay ranged under the, their several standards as the valleys, which often from a small beginning are spread forth far and wide as gardens, pleasant and fruitful and secured by a fence as line aloes. I thought this was good. In Arabian and Indian tree of a sweet smell, Yielding shade and shelter both to man and beast. And then I thought the application was good. Such as Israel, not only safe themselves, but yielding shelter to all that join themselves to them. I thought that was really good. See, I never would have thought of that. But this is these line aloes. This is an Arabian Indian tree of a sweet smell, yielding shade and shelter both to man and beast. And so Israel is like the line aloes, not only safe themselves, but yielding shelter to all that join themselves to them. And Balaam's seeing all this, and, and Balak's hearing this, and basically it's one last cause that, hey, you want safety, get underneath this shade here. But they don't. All right, uh, verse 7. He shall pour the water out of his buckets, and his seed shall be in many waters. And his king shall be higher than Agag, and his kingdom shall be exalted. God brought him forth out of Egypt. He hath, as it were, the strength of a unicorn. He shall eat up the nations, his enemies, and shall break their bones and pierce them through with arrows. He couched, he lay down as a lion, and as a great lion. Who shall stir him up? Blessed is he that blessed thee, and cursed is he that curses thee. And Balak's anger was kindled against Balaam, and he smote his hands together. And Balak said unto Balaam, I called thee to curse mine enemies. Behold, thou hast altogether blessed them these three times. Therefore, now flee thou to thy place. I thought to promote thee unto great honor, but lo, the Lord hath kept thee back from honor. And Balaam said unto Balak, Speak I not also to thy messengers, which thou sentst unto me, saying, If Balak would give me his house full of silver and gold, I cannot go beyond the commandment of the Lord to do either good or bad of mine own mind. But what the Lord saith, that will I speak. And now behold, I go unto my people. Come therefore, and I will advertise thee what this people shall do to thy people in the latter days. So it's like God's doubling down here with his message. And he took up his parable and said, Balaam, the son of Beor, hath said, and the man whose eyes are open hath said, he hath said, which heard the words of God and knew the knowledge of the Most High, which saw the vision of the Almighty falling into a trance, but having his eyes open. And then he says, 
I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and shall smite the corners of Moab, and destroy all the children of Seth. And Edom shall be a possession, Seir also shall be a possession for his enemies, and Israel shall do valiantly. Out of Jacob shall come he that shall have dominion, and shall destroy him that remaineth of this city. So, I mean, that's incredible. We'll stop there and we'll continue, because I want to read one second. So, so here it is. This, this has always been mind-boggling to me, and it's been mind-boggling to a lot of people. And there's been a lot of debate over the uh, centuries. Is Balaam a false prophet? Is he a true prophet? How do we define what Balaam is? How can God, if he's a false prophet, how can God use a false prophet to give one of the most significant prophetic prophecies in relation to the coming Messiah ultimately, but possibly to King David, who is going to prefigure him, and yet God uses this guy? Well, what if he's a false prophet? How can he do that? Well, that's not a problem to God. I mean, God uses whom he will, and basically he's going to use who he can make pliable and mold to his will to be a mouthpiece or a vessel for him, whether he has to get a heathen enemy people to come and destroy his own people, or if he's going to use a false heathen prophet to get across the message that can get across to him, God will use him whether it's a donkey or a car broken down on the side of the road that he decides to animate and speak. So it's not a marvel that God uses him. The marvel is he was usable. At least at this point, he, he, he makes a huge mess later and causes Israel a lot of problems. But I don't know. We don't need to get hung over that. And I don't, want to, I don't think we should lose the forest through the trees or however that saying goes because of what's going to happen next. And I think, once again, Satan is a masterpiece, a mastermind at getting us focused on the wrong syllable. And we miss what it is he wants us to see. Like I said in Acts chapter 2 when I preached on that, we get so hung up on the tongues issue, which is the first half of chapter 2, we, we don't even focus on the most important part of Acts chapter 2, which is what happens. And so we, we are so good at casting our gaze on what we're not supposed to really focus on and miss what the heck God is trying to say, which I think is what happens next. All right, and this is where I'm going with all this. So, verse 20. And when he looked on Amalek, he took up his parable and said, Amalek was the first of the nations, but his latter end shall be that he perish forever. And he looked on the Kenites and took up his parable and said, Strong is thy dwelling place, and thou puttest thy nest in a rock. Nevertheless, the Kenite shall be wasted until Asher shall carry thee away. And he took up his parable and said, Alas, who shall live when God doth this? And ships shall come from the coast of Kittim, and shall afflict Asher, and shall afflict Eber, and he also shall perish forever. And Balaam rose up and went and returned to his place, and Balak also went his way. So what is just happened is this incredible stuff has been going on behind the scenes of Israel's awareness. They don't know that there's been this monumental 
spiritual battle struggle take place in the unseen world and not seen to them. And while that is happening and God is using this whole scenario to present this incredible prophecy which is going to benefit his people, where's their focus? 25. And Israel abode in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. And I, I got there after the flow because if you're like me, I mean, it's been a long time since I've read this. I don't want, know what's coming up next. And I'm reading along and say, wow, this is incredible. Balaam's been used and God did this. And I'm thinking, wow, this is so great. And Israel abode in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. What the heck? We've just been dealing with Balak, the king of Moab. And all the while, this now is developing. And they called the people unto the sacrifices of their gods, and the people did eat and bowed down to their gods. And Israel joined himself to Baal Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said unto Moses, Take all the heads of the people and hang them up before the Lord against the sun, that the fierce anger of the Lord may be turned away from Israel. And Moses said unto the judges of Israel, Slay ye every one his men that were joined unto Baal Peor. And behold, one of the children of Israel came and brought unto his brethren a Midianitish woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel who were weeping before the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he rose up from among the congregation, took a javelin in his hand, and he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through the man of Israel and the woman through her belly. So the plague was stayed from the children of Israel. And those that died in the plague were twenty and four thousand. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, hath turned my wrath away from the children of Israel, while he was zealous for my sake among them, that I consumed not the children of Israel in my jealousy. Wherefore say, Behold, I give unto him my covenant of peace, and he shall have it in his seed after him, even the covenant of an everlasting priesthood, because he was zealous for his God, and made an atonement for the children of Israel. Now the name of the Israelite that was slain, even that was slain with the Midianitish woman, was Zimri, the son of Saulu, a prince of a chief's house among the Simeonites. And the name of the Midianite woman that was slain was Cosby, or Cosby, the daughter of Zor. He was head over a people and of a chief house in Midian. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Vex the Midianites and smite them, for they vex you with their wiles, wherewith they have beguiled you in the matter of Peor, and in the matter of Cosby, Cosby, the daughter of the prince of Midian, their sister, which was slain in the day of the plague for Baal, uh, for Peor's sake. And I just love that word because it, what's it make you think, 18? For they vex you with their wiles. That's what Paul warns us against, the wiles, the schemes, the darts, the snares of Satan. So what I want us to see here is, and this is basically my point, what struck me is, we tend to forget that we live in the midst of an unseen host around us. And we fail to remember that there's spiritual warfare going on all the time in the unseen realm around us. 
but also in the unseen realm of what's in our hearts. Because we are all susceptible to fall prey to Baal Peor. Now you say, oh no, not many people would do that. Okay, maybe out of all of the people, 24,000 is not a lot. Well, I'm telling you, 24,000 is a lot. And they're just merely representative of those who are smart enough to not follow upon the actions that's in their heart. <clears throat> and so <clears throat> maybe a lot more didn't do it, but a lot more were at least smart enough to say no to the inclinations that they had to go have the fun with looks like this is pretty cool stuff and not do it. <clears throat> what I'm saying is, myself, maybe foremost amongst all of us, there's a battle going on. And it, it takes me back to that time when I was at the men's retreat in Dublin. And I'm going to conclude with this. While unbeknown to Israel, good things are happening on their behalf. But they become an easy target for Satan. We cannot lose our edge or perspective concerning the constant battle that Satan is waging over our souls. And it takes me back to that men's meeting where he preached a whole week on the war against the soul. And I, it changed me to realize, because the way he said it, like he was even shocked, a war against the soul? And Dr. Minnick spent that, spent that whole week in the men's meeting on this theme of the warfare against our soul. And it was so powerful. I had the tapes. I don't know what I did with it. With them, they're long gone. <clears throat> but the verses, 1 Peter 2.11, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. I'm telling you, you know, we get our guns and we're going to get prepared, and our mindset is, we're, if something happens, we're ready. And so we put a lot of time and effort into our home defense, our family defense, on the physical level. And we should. But I wonder if sometimes <clears throat> we, we're more cognizant of that warfare, potentially, that may never happen, Versus the warfare that is being waged against us, which Paul spent so much time to tell us to be alert to and to be sober-minded about. And we spend less time cleaning our spiritual weapons and sighting in our spiritual weapons and getting used to the feel of our spiritual weapons to where they've sat so long and we're so not prepared. And I really think we're seeing and going to see a ratcheting up of Satan's adversarial attacks, not against the world, but against God's people. And this, just when I read this and I got into chapter 25, it's just like, I was hit with a brick. What the heck is this? And I thought, well, it's me. It's us. It's potentially any of us. So, <clears throat> in part, listen, yeah, Balaam, yeah, let's fix, don't get fixed on, aided on, and that there has been so much written upon whether or not he's a prophet, a true prophet, how should we take what he says? There, there's been arguments and debates over this. I mean, it has split people over this. 
<laughs> and Satan is up there laughing. Yeah, this is so good. I don't want him to see the next chapter. And we, we sail right into it. <laughs> we just scoot right into it. I know I do. So I'm just trying once again to say, listen, we have to have our spiritual antennae up. We have to have our spiritual gun sights lined up. We have to make sure our handgun is well oiled and we've shot it enough where it's broken in and, and the pages actually have a flop to it and, and, it, and there's some wear and tear and, and, and it's showing, hey, yeah, it is getting broken in. And yeah, I'm kind of getting comfortable with this. Oh, it's starting to become second nature. Look at that. I can shoot and get close to the bullseye. Because what is sin? It's missing the mark. It's, it's, it's not being accurate in our shooting, the direction our life is going. And unless I'm the only one, I, I, think, um, I, think, I think we need to take inventory you know, we're going to tell ourselves, no, we're not going to be like those 24,000 that got killed. And granted, you might not. But I'm saying, if he can't get you then, he knows where he can get you later. And sooner or later, if he can tempt Yeshua, and he can show Yeshua to all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, and if, if Yeshua does battle for 40 days and 40 nights with Satan, and experiences every temptation that we can go through and, and battle through it. And afterwards, he didn't walk out of there. Yeah, wow. He was weary. He's tired. It was warfare. And that sets the platform for us because the rest of his life wasn't like the movies we want to see about Jesus where he's just skipping through the fields and we're all laughing and happy. I mean, I'm sure they had those times. But no, he kept trying to tell them, get thee behind me, Satan. You're not getting it. Jesus, when you come to your kingdom, can I be first? Can I sit on your throne? <laughs> you know, we're kind of, that's where we are. And he kept trying to say, listen, I'm talking death here. I'm talking a cross. I'm talking preparedness. Talking, you signed on for this. You're in a different realm now, guys. Wrap your head and hearts around it. We need to be engaged and prepared. Let's pray. So anyway, that's it, Father. Thank you for speaking to me. And you know I needed this. This was just like, wow. Um, and, and it's kind of like when you least expect it. You know, it comes out of nowhere. And I pray, Father, that you just work in each one of our hearts. You know, that if nothing else, use a parallel of how prepared we are for everything else in life and how we get the right clothes for work, the right tools for work, the proper vehicles that we need, the computers. I mean, all that. And it's important. But I think we need to realize our spiritual apparatuses are not just as important, but even more so. <clears throat> You, you, you called us to rise above and to be separate. But only you can make that happen in our lives. So don't give up on us, work in us, help us to see. You know, Balaam said, my eyes are open, I see. Father, open our eyes so that we can see the true condition, our true hearts, what's truly going on around us. 
and help us arrest in our righteousness there that we have in Yeshua. <clears throat> in his name we pray. Amen. Hey, mighty warriors arise, yeah. Freedom does not me away. For soon is the day when we see your face on the mount of your grace and your oh.